amen. All right, check this one out. It might be a little tougher this time, but that's right. It wasn't the first time that the U.S. took on the greatest naval power in the world, and here we were at it again only 36 hours after declaring our independence from these same people. Guess who? Great Britain. Germany. Bobby, get it. <laughs> Let's start all over. No, Great Britain once again attempted to restrict our country's trade. Uh, but then on top of that, they even listened impressed. Or in other words, they forcibly placed our America men into their service, essentially arresting them and placing them into their Navy. Can you believe that? It really happened. Okay, well, that was it, obviously. Americans, pfft, the battle was on. And even though the U.S. suffered many costly defeats at the hands of the British and the Canadian and Native American troops, including the capture and burning of our nation's capital and the White House in Washington, D.C., nonetheless, the American troops were able to repulse the British invasions in New York, Baltimore, and even at the Battle of New Orleans. That should be a song or something. And then after uh, uh, three years of fighting, the war was finally ended with the signing of the Treaty of Ghent in Belgium. And it was not only called the Second War of Independence for America, but for some reason today, it's not really remembered in Great Britain at all. Uh, in fact, uh, this same war actually inspired the song that would eventually become our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. And of course, the war was what? The War of 1812. Interesting. That's the one that we usually kind of skip over, but it was important. How many guys would say that was an important battle in the history of our nation, right? The second battle of independence, 36 years after the first one, okay? But with all due respect to those who lost their lives, Americans and all people in the battle of 1812, what if I were to tell you I know of a battle that makes the battle of 1812 look like a backyard picnic, okay? And what if I were to tell you that this battle didn't occur at just one place in one country at one time? It's occurring right now, today, all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Once again, folks, what we are talking about is the satanic war on the Christian. And these are the facts, folks, whether we realize it or not. Every single day, Christian, every single day. We don't battle here once in a while, here and there. Okay, every single day we go to war. Whether you see it, feel it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, you entered into a spiritual war against a real-life demonic host whose sole purpose is to destroy you and to extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. So in order to stop getting beat up and duped all over the place, as Christians, we're going to continue our study the satanic war on the Christian. Now, so far, if you've been here, we've seen that if you're going to win a war, it's common sense, right? You need to know who your enemy is, right? Okay. The last time we saw the second thing you need to know if you're going to win the war is you need to know what your enemy is like, i.e. their character, right? What they're up against, all that. Okay. And we dealt with the first one last week, and that was the character of Satan. And we saw that he is not just real. He is really evil, rotten, and deceptive to the core. You don't want to mess with him. Okay, but again, this is the sad irony. This is the problem. We in the church today, we don't even know who our enemy is because we refuse to believe in him. And secondly, because of that, we don't even understand their character because we don't uh, want to believe in him. We're not equipped, okay? We're getting blindsided all over the place. We saw the biblical proof and the societal proof screaming at us. Why in the world do you think the world is so messed up today and getting worse by the day? Proof of Satan's not just existence, but his evil character permeating the planet okay, is all around us. He's using, we saw, just only had time for one way he's doing this, okay? He's getting people to emulate him, listen, act like him, think like him, behave like him. Remember last time, even getting people to change their appearance to look like him? Absolutely crazy. And one way he's doing that, we saw, was the media. The media is his high-tech tool in the last days to get people to reflect his evil character, even in the church, instead of the character of God. But that's not the second character we need to uh, deal with. If we're going to stop getting beat up and duped all over the place as Christians in this satanic war on the Christian is not just Satan, but who also is out there messing with us? Demons. So we need to deal with the character of demons. Satan is not the only one permeating his evil character around the world, messing things up. So are his evil horde of demons out there. And they really are just as evil and rotten as he is. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. Let's go back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 16. If you find the dictionary, what do you do? Take a left. You got that one right, Bobby. We'll talk about Germany later. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, Revelation 16. Well, let's take a look there, verses 1 through 14. Now, the context as you turn there, we're dealing at the, towards the, the back end of the seven-year tribulation, right? You already dealt with the first half of the sealed judgments, then comes the trumpet judgments, and then comes the bold judgments uh, towards the very end, okay? And even after all this, the people still would not get right with God. But let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to read 
God's holy word. Revelation 16 verse 1 said this, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's what? God's wrath on the earth, okay, is what it says there. And then the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl of the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died in the trumpet judgments it was only a third. Now everything is going to die. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And then I heard an angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now here comes the fourth angel, and he pours out his bowl on the sun. And the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. And they were seared with intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. Listen, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Well, then the fifth angel pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast, the Antichrist. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. He lost. He's a loser. Men nod their tongues in agony and curse the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they what? They refused to repent of what they had done. And here comes the sixth angel, pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its waters dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw three what? Evil spirits that looked like frogs. And they came out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of what? Demons performing miraculous signs that go out into the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Wow, what a text on that uh, opening uh, verse there. But how many guys would say, I know you guys are, uh, I know you're sharp. That's just the way it is. We'll overlook that Germany thing, Bobby. No pun. Okay, but <laughs> how many guys would say the seven-year tribulation is one place you don't ever want to be? Right? I mean, whoa, man, this is still, we didn't touch the seals of the, the trumpets, and, and this isn't all that's going on, but this is towards the back end. It is a horrible time. And what did Jesus say? He said it is the worst time in the history of mankind, so horrible that unless God shortened the time frame, the entire human race would be destroyed. You don't want to be there. And there's only one way out. That's through Jesus Christ. All right? All right? Now, what also makes it so horrible, apparently, is not only because God's wrath is being poured out upon this wicked and rebellious planet, they refuse to repent. It didn't have to be that way. Okay, but what also makes it so horrible is listen Satan himself the dragon the Antichrist the false prophet and what actual real demonic spirits were at the end there actually deceiving people to do the dumbest thing ever and that's what's going on there at the very end they gather them around one last time one last trickery to get all the people around the world who are still left alive and and unfortunately still not redeemed okay to gather around and to try to take on god and defeat him at the battle of armageddon can you believe that how many guys would say that man of all habits to have on a saturday afternoon that's not a good one that's one of the dumbest things ever hello like you're ever going to defeat god but that's how wicked, that's how deceiving, not just Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, but actual demonic spirits. That's what they're doing. We just read it. Now, here's my whole point. This is just one. This is just one passage in the Bible that gives us an insight into the evil, rotten, deceptive character that demons really have, just like Satan and, unfortunately, Satan's man in the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. But this is the problem. This is what's so wild. We just read the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's not there in some secret hidden Greek that only somebody with a degree can understand. It's right here. Okay? The church today, the church is not only denying the existence of a literal Satan and literal demons, but because of that, they never get around to understanding their character. So they're getting blindsided. They don't know what they're up against. Okay? When God gives us so much information for our own good. Why? Because he's trying to scare us. Because those preachers are out for your money. <laughs> no. Because God loves us. He wants us to know what we're up against so we don't get blindsided. He loves us, his kids. And it's common sense. If you're going to win a war, you've got to know what you're up against. Right? What is your enemy like? What are they up to? How are they going to come at us? What's all this? What, how, what, that's common sense. And God does that for us. When it comes to the second enemy, the character of demons. And that's what we're going to do is now take a look at their character. Now, two different ways, uh, sources anyway, that reveal the character of demons. And we're going to go right back where we just came from. The biblical proof, okay? 
Okay, believe it or not, folks, Revelation 16, again, it's just one of many passages that reveal to us the character, the evil, rotten, horrible character of demons over and over and over again to let us know that this is real. This is not a game. It's not some fear tactic. It's a real war that we got to deal with. It's really going on. Old Testament, New Testament, they're mentioned all over the place. Why? Because, again, God wants us equipped. He wants us to know in advance what we're up against, not so that we got to freak out and be afraid, but we can be wise and not fall for their deceptive tactics, right? And so let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about the characteristics of demons, all right? First of all, they're intelligent, Mark chapter 1. In fact, the root word there for demon, demonion in the Greek, the root of that means intelligent ones. These guys are super smart, okay? Probably whip me any day at a math test. Okay, but in all seriousness, they're also smart because they've had about 6,000 years watching us, observing us from generation to generation. They know what makes us tick. They know for the same traps that we fall for. All they do is repackage them, wait for the next generation to come along, bang, we do it again. These guys are smart. Okay, the Bible talks about intelligent. They're also, they know their doom. They know where they're headed, right? And that's why they're trying to, just like Satan we saw last week, Poneros, remember that? He seems how many people they can take with them into the lake of fire. They also know the plan of salvation, James chapter 2, but they are obviously not getting saved. They know the deity of Jesus. How many times did we see that before? When Jesus is casting out the demons, what do they say? We know who you are, Jesus, son of God. They know who Jesus is, and these same wicked entities have the audacity to do people to think, oh, Jesus, he's no big deal. He's just a great teacher like everybody else. You know, Just try to teach us to live a good life. They know who he is. He's the only way out of this mess and they're doing that today they also seek to hinder the plan of god daniel chapter 10 revelation 16 they promote obviously satan's program in opposing god revelation 12 they promote rebellion genesis 3 starting with satan in the garden of eden they promote idolatry leviticus 17 they promote false religions first john chapter 4 they torment and oppress people first samuel 16 they wage war on us hello believers ephesians chapter 6 they also inflict problems on the believer job chapter 1 second corinthians 12 7 they work in numbers matthew 12 listen they work together as a team ephesians 6 too bad we couldn't do that the demons know the power of unity but what's happening to the church today all split up messed up fractured whatever and i'm not talking about just in uh, uh different denominations man that's a whole nother topic i'm talking about just locally the body of Christ. Better be careful. He doesn't want us to work together as a team. He wants us against each other. Common tactic. But they work as a team because they know the power of that. Also, they tempt people to sin, uh, sin Ephesians chapter 2. They persecute Revelation 12. They prevent service. I ain't got time. I wonder who put that thought in your head. Excuse me? Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. They disturb the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. They cause trouble. Judges chapter 9. They cause, listen, selfishness and divisions in the church. What? Yeah, James chapter 3. Uh, they cause mental disorders, Luke chapter 8. They cause irrational behavior, Luke chapter 8. They also cause suicidal mania, Mark chapter 9. They inflict illnesses, Mar uh, Matthew 9, Luke 13. They inflict physical harm, Acts 19. They possess animals, uh, Mark chapter 5. They promote false doctrine, 1 Timothy 4. We'll see that today. The spirit behind false prophets. Who do you think is inspiring those guys? Right? The Lord gave me a word. He told me, and I got this special revelation. Yeah, it's just demonic. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 22, they influence nations. Listen to this, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Daniel 10, and Revelation 16. Lots of proof on that one. Who do you think is pulling the strings behind all the stuff that's going on from a geopolitical point of view? Hello, uh, it's a demonic issue. It's not just natural. And they possess unbelievers. Again, we saw before, you can't be possessed if you're a Christian. This Bible is very clear that you are indwelt as a Christian with the Holy Spirit of God, who also says Jesus said that the Father, when you get saved, the Father and the Son will come and make their home with him. So you got God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Son, and God, the Father in you. He is not going to scooch over and share room with a demon. Okay, but if you're not saved, guess what? You can be possessed, Matthew chapter 9, Mark 6. You better pay attention. It's not a game. And that's what they'll do, as we'll see even here today. But how many guys would say that the Bible emphatically declares the actual real life existence of demons, they really exist, call them demons, call them evil spirits, call them unclean spirits, whatever you want to do. And how many guys would say the Bible is very emphatic that their character is evil, rotten, horrible, deceptive to the core? Can we agree on that? I mean, and again, and I, I, I did that, folks. Listen, that is only 30 descriptions of their character. That's not all of them, but that's a lot. This is not, well, you're trying to build a doctrine off some spurious passage that people have been wondering for years. What does that really mean? Excuse me. This is all over the Bible. They not only exist, 
But man, look at how many times, listen, for our benefit. Why is God doing this? For our benefit. How many times did God tell And they act like this, and they're going to do this, and they're going to come this way, and, and here's their heart there, and look out there. If you see this manifesting in your presence uh, yeah, with selfishness and divisions, even in the church, guess who's behind it? I didn't say God did. Over and over and over again, he's trying to get us, hey, guess what? It's real. You're actually in a battle. And these entities are not just real, they're really out to get you, okay? And this is the point as always, how in the world then? How in the world could somebody sit there and say that they're a supposed Christian and deny the existence of demons, and then on top of that say, no big deal, nothing to worry about. What are you, one of those wackos? It's just a figment of your imagination. It's a mere symbol of evil taught to, uh, for us for a moral... What Bible are you reading? Or maybe that's the problem. You're not reading the Bible. The only book on the planet that tells us what's really going on in this world. And I don't know about you, but if I was Satan or demons, and I'm not, you can ask my wife, she's up here. <laughs> then uh, that's the first book I would distract people till my last breath. Don't ever get into that book. Because it's the only one that unveils what's really going on. Tell me that's not... Demonic. But God tells us so much about the existence of demons, not to freak us out, is to prepare us. He doesn't want us blindsided. He's trying to get us equipped so we keep moving forward for him. Jesus said as his church, he said there, listen, I don't want you to just bear fruit. He said, I didn't. I want you to bear much fruit. And these people are going to do, these entities, they're not people, these entities are going to do everything they can to keep you and I divided, distracted, Mm. So that we never bear fruit for Jesus. Can't take away our salvation. But he moves to plan B. That's to get you to do anything and everything but live for Jesus. Okay? It's a spiritual war. Now that's just the first proof. The second uh, source giving us the character of demons is, once again, the societal proof. And that's actually going to be the theme. uh, As you can see there with all those different uh, drug paraphernalia. Okay? And and again, this to me is a common sense question, but I'm going to pose it again. Anyway, if demons are real and they're really rotten to the core... As we just saw clearly in the Bible, all over the place, Old Testament, New Testament, and demons have not been destroyed yet. Again, along with Satan, that doesn't happen until after the seven-year tribulation, then the thousand-year millennial kingdom. At the end of that, bang, that's when they get into the lake of fire, okay? But that hasn't happened yet, so that means they're real, they're really evil, they're really still around. Then therefore, how many guys would say, hmm, they're probably still really out there messing things up today? Can we agree on that one too? I mean, that's just a common sense response. And folks, again, you look around our society, what in the world do you think is going on? Why do you think things are so messed up? Demons are not just real. They really are permeating their evil character along with Satan across our planet. Listen, getting people to emulate them. Listen, act like them. Think like them. Listen, even, because this is their ultimate goal, even to be possessed by them. The non-Christian. With what time they have left? Full, total control. Okay. Now, again, just like with Satan, there's a multitude of ways they're doing that, trying to get people to emulate their character, and if you're not a Christian, to actually possess you. Okay. But I only have time to deal with one. Okay. And one way that they're trying to get you to emulate their character, even be possessed if you're not saved, that is with the mind. Your mind. Now, pay attention. The Bible is clear, folks. When you read the scripture and you deal with spiritual warfare, you deal with Satan and the enemy. The mind is one of the first places the enemy will always go to seek an entrance into our lives. There literally is a battle for our mind the moment you get up every single day, whether you want to believe it or not. In fact, let's take a look at what the scripture has to say of the enemy going after the mind. All right. First of all, he seeks to blind the what? mind of the unbeliever why is it no matter how much we witness to somebody tell them about the good news there's a way out of this mess through jesus christ you don't have to go the seven-year tribulation you don't have to go to hell jesus christ paid it all if you would just surrender your life to him call upon his name ask him to forgive you of your sins you don't have to go and he's just like you're talking to a brick wall it's like how It's a spiritual battle. I didn't say that. God did. The enemy is blinding them from seeing it. It's right before them. They still can't get it. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God, little g, Satan of this age has what? Blinded what? 
The mind. He's going after the mind of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So what do we do, church? Well, guess what? We need to recapture the mind, God tells us. The enemy's out there blinding their mind. We need to recapture the mind. And that's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we what? We take captive every thought, the mind, to make it obedient to who? To Christ. We bring it back to Christ in the mind, in the mind. Enemy wants to blind the mind. We bring back Christ into the mind, okay? Well, that's for the, the, the non-Christian. Listen, he also, Christian, pay attention. He wants to destroy your mind. He can't take away your salvation. Pay attention. But he wants to destroy your mind, so invade your mind, you can't even have a decent walk with Christ. Now, see, I didn't say that. God did. Watch this. 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I'm afraid, just as Paul speaking, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your what? There's the word again. Your minds may somehow be led astray. Now, I need to expand this. The Greek word there for led astray literally means to corrupt, literally to destroy. So what did Paul say? I'm concerned, church. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. I'm concerned. If you're not careful, the enemy is going to destroy your mind. Why? Because he'll keep you from having a what? Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Whoa. So what do we do? Well, that's why Paul says we need to control the mind. We need to get it back, right? The enemy is going to take your mind and try to get you off track so you don't have a pure devotion with Christ. We bring that mind right back into place on Christ. And that's why Paul said Philippians 4, 7 through 8, and the peace of God. How many of you guys want the peace of God? In your mind. No matter what's going on. Yeah. Well, he tells us how to get it, which transcends all understanding, even your mind, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, how does that happen? I want that. Well, put this in your brain, okay, is what he says here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about what? Such things, which obviously is the news or Facebook or Twitter, because everything on there is wonderful and excellent and praiseworthy and true. And are you kidding me? He's talking about the things of God. You put the things of God into your mind. Why? Because when your mind is on the things of God, it's on Christ. When it's on Christ, what's he do with your mind? He guards it. It's focused on Christ. The enemy comes to take your mind, get you away from God. Literally destroy it if you can. And I'm talking Christian. But what do we do every single day? Mm -mm, you ain't getting me off track. I'm keeping my mind on the things of God, whatever is right, whatever is excellent. It's a battle in your mind every single day, okay, whether we realize or not. Every day when we get out of bed, and again, I'll say this, but I don't want to build a doctrine off of it. I think sometimes even when we're dreaming, okay, uh, the enemy is seeking to control us. He's seeking to blind the lost and keep them blind so that they will die and go to the lake of fire. But if you are a Christian, he will still go after your mind. He can't take away your salvation, but he'll go after your mind, even try to destroy it from having a sincere, pure devotion to Jesus. Do you know any Christians like that? Have you ever had a period in your walk with Christ, myself included, where it's just like your mind was just so stinking frazzled? Or, or maybe it wasn't even frazzled. It was just off on la-la land. Maybe it was worldly things. Maybe it was selfish things. Maybe yourself. Maybe it was other things. Maybe it was situations or anything but Christ. And, and then all of a sudden, this, it went on another day, and then another day, and then another day. And then you wake up, and you have that proverbial response. It feels like God's a million miles away. You ever been there? How did your mind get there? And what's the old axiom that goes back to that? If it ever feels like God's a million miles away, guess who moved? We did. He's with us wherever we go. But somebody hijacked your mind. And Paul says, get it back on track. There's a battle for your mind every single day. Now, again, he does it, the enemy does it, demons do it to get us to reflect their evil image, their evil character, not the character of God. And if you're not saved, it's ultimately to possess you. Now, I'm going to break it down two different ways. And that's all i got time for, and we have to close. Two different ways the enemy goes after your mind. Okay, and the first way he seduces people with demonic drugs. Good thing that's not a hot topic. This is so old information. I'm sorry. Please bear with me. <laughs> are you kidding me? In fact, you know what's wild? The Bible says drugs are going to be one of the biggest ways the enemy gets people, listen, non-Christians to be possessed and even worship demons. 
in the last days. I didn't say that. God did. Let's go back to the seven-year tribulation. Why is this so horrible? Why is the wrath of God being poured out? Let's take a look at that. Revelation 9, 20 and 21. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop what? Are you serious? We're going to get to a society at a point where society is going to worship demons, actual demons? Yeah. How could that happen? How could people literally worship demons? Well, what's he said they're going to be doing? They did not repent of their what? Their murders. Who's a murderer? And has been one from the beginning. Satan. Their murders, their magic arts, pay attention to that word, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Right? They were engaged in that stuff when they're worshiping demons. Now, what I want to bring out there is the word their magic arts. It's actually the Greek word pharmakeia. Can you guess what English word we get from that? Pharmacy. And what do you get the pharmacy? You get that nifty turbo blender with fruit. And no, yeah, you can get that there too, but that's not what I'm talking about. You get what? You get drugs, right? Uh, what is that, the ninja blender? I digress. But anyway, <laughs> anyway I, I don't have one, and I don't want one. But anyway, no, it's drugs. i got to start all over on this one. Pharmacia, pharmacy, drugs, right? That's what the word is there, okay? And, and this word clues us in on the first reason why, apparently in the context, the people in the last days in the seven-year tribulation, they are so... It said that, that even though they're being judged by God, nothing he does to get their attention, to get them to repent, it doesn't respond. Why? Because I think this is one of the things. Their minds are so clouded with pharmacia and drugs are one of the ways that the occult uses to get people to commune and worship demonic entities that they can't. He's got their minds. Demons are going to be inspiring a massive amount of drug usage across our planet, clouding the minds of people in the last days. Oh, I'm so glad that doesn't go on today. I mean, obviously, this is for like eight generations from now. Yeah, are you kidding me? What's going on in our lifetime? Can you believe what's going on? Everything. Turn on your TV. What's going on? Every single headline, right? Drugs this, drugs here, drug right there, drug problem in schools, drugs in homes, drugs in the streets, drugs in the government, drugs around the world. Drug use has gone ballistic. And listen, it's, it's spawning not just wicked demonic behavior, Okay, but listen, it's getting so popular, they can't wait for Big Pharma to come out with a new one to abuse. They're coming up with their own. They're called designer drugs. One of them we talked about before and still out there today is called Crocodile. Have you heard that one? Crocodile, listen to this thing. Here's what it does to people. It turns their skin greenish and scaly in appearance, like a crocodile, hence the name, right? And it even causes their blood vessels to rupture and kills the surrounding tissue. Listen, and it creates huge chunks of dead flesh to appear on their bodies. Like a well, crocodile, yeah, but zombie. Wait a second. Have you noticed one of the... Last time we dealt with the media, now we're dealing with the mind. Have you noticed in the media, we, last time we talked about the, with witchcraft and vampirism in the media and all that stuff, seducing people to the dark side, so to speak. Have you noticed, this is like, listen, that was back in the 50s and 60s, the black and white, gray B movies. Have you noticed today? What is the rage out there? Not just witchcraft, not just vampirism, zombie movies. And I still to this day, it's like, what's the draw, Right? First of all, I always thought it was funny just growing up as a kid with the mummy thing. And this guy goes, ooh, it's like, dude, he goes a half a mile an hour. I can skip away from this guy. I can fall down 18 times and you're freaking out. You... I digress again. Let's go back to Pharmacaea. <laughs> anyway, no. But there's the zombie movies. Have you noticed that? It's like, are you serious? Zombie movies? What's that? Why is the big draw? And here comes another one. Here comes another one. Here... It's the highest rating show ever. It's a... Zom... Go back to these drugs. And you're literally, your flesh starts popping off and looking. Like, are, are, you, are you preparing us for something? Oh, it gets even more apparent than that. It's not just a weird theory for me. All right, but that's what it does. Now, it creates huge chunks of flesh on their bodies, kind of like a zombie creature. And quote, I quote, listen, once you're an addict at this level using this stuff, listen, listen, any rational thinking does not apply. You're out of your mind, is what they're saying. That's secular people. You're out of your mind. You're, you're an out of, the, out of the mind zombie when you use this drug. Oh, what's another one that's out there? What's the street name for? Bath salts. And what was bath salts still to this day causing people to do? Eat each other's faces off. Eat each other's bodies like a 
saw me. <laughs> Are you really preparing us for something weird coming down the pike? I mean, the Bible says they're going to be worshiping demons, drugs. Is that what's going to be going on in the seven-year tribulation? Is that why you're using propaganda to get us used to? Maybe you will have to fend off a zombie attack. You've got to be kidding me. Bass falls. Okay. Oh, and experts are saying it's going to get worse. I'm not saying this. They are. This is secular. So you can't say, oh, you Christians always say this. Uh, experts are saying you think it's bad now with these designer drugs, faces falling off, people eating each other's faces off, and it's just horrible, wicked behavior on top of everything else. They say it's going to get worse. Why? Because there's another drug out there that is being legalized all over the place, and secular, not me, secular drug experts are saying it's a gateway drug that's going to open up drug usage like we can't even believe in. Anybody can guess what that one is? It's marijuana. And I'm not saying this, secular experts are, but I fully agree. Having been there, done that, wish I wouldn't have bought the t-shirt before I got saved. Okay? They say if that continues to get legalized, and it is state after state after state. If you notice it, it's going crazy. They said, you think it's bad now with drug usage? You ain't seen nothing yet. It is a gateway drug. It's going to spawn all kinds of wicked behavior beyond your wildest dreams. In fact, studies could be, oh, it makes them more safe. Safe drivers, safe people. Are you kidding me? Here are the statistics now that they can provide statistics after this stuff has been legalized, for instance, in the state of Colorado for a, a certain amount of time. Statistics have shown that marijuana it being legalized, quote, crime rates have gone up. Every drug you go, folks, crime rates always go up. Number one, uh, crime rates have gone up. Two, homelessness has gone up, right? Also, businesses are having a hard time in Colorado finding faithful employees. You know why? Because they're high. They don't want to work. You lose your job. Guess what? You're homeless. And also, it's causing more deaths. I can't, I can't tell you, oh, it makes safe drivers. Safe drivers? Are you kidding me? Listen, pot fuels surge in drug driving deaths. The statistics are, since it's been legalized in Colorado and other states, actually more people are dying on the freeways. And this is like, are you serious? Do we even really need a study? And I'm not glamorizing the sin. You guys know my testimony of all the things that I did. Every drug under the sun except for heroin before I got saved. Okay, but excuse me, I remember those days. You did not want to be driving. And yet people, even the church, say, oh, yeah, it's good. It's safe people. They're very calm. <laughs> are you, what? Are you in the church? And then we know that they're even making it easy for even kids to get access to. Remember, they're now putting marijuana in vending machines like a candy machine. It's in vending machines. You can get marijuana in vending machines. Like a pop. Oh, hey, that's good. This is really going on in our culture. And it's causing drug users to go ballistic. Listen, 22 million people in the U.S. are already using illegal drugs. And they're saying it's going to get way worse now because we opened up the gateway. The number of heroin addicts in the U.S. has more than doubled since 2002. The number of heroin-related deaths has risen 84% since 2010. And now they're having reports of junior high girls are getting uh, convicted of doing crystal meth in school. It keeps getting lower and lower the ages of people doing serious drugs in the schools. Why? Well, you keep legalizing it all over the place. You act like it's no big deal even in the church. And then you even make little vending machines. Hey, you have a drug. Like, hey, you want a candy bar? No, I think I'll go get high. I wish I was joking with that statement, but that's what's going on. It is crazy. What did the Bible say in the last days? What's going to go on in seven-year tribulation? Pharmakeia. It's going nuts. But man, I tell you what, it's a good thing that you and I, the American church, whoa, we're standing strong on this issue. We're not budging when it comes to this. Yes, that's called Sarcasm, Bobby. You got that one right. Once again, you made up for Germany. But let's take a look at that. Watch what's going on in the church on this issue. It's, it's crazy. Watch this, man. Oh. Legalization of marijuana has been sung about by Peter Tosh. But who'd have thought that television evangelist Pat Robertson would now support the idea? became sort of a hero of the hippie culture, I guess, when I said I think we ought to decriminalize the possession of, uh, of marijuana. But another group is using the law to start a brand new church. In fact, church members say they love cannabis. Brother Night Beach David McNally says not everyone is happy to have them in their southeast side neighborhood. Others have a place. But where is ours? International Church of Cannabis is a 13,000 square foot space located in Denver, Colorado. That is the first large venue in the world where adults can legally consume cannabis in a social environment. 
Our church is the spiritual home to adults everywhere who ritually take the sacred flower to find inspiration and meaning. We are Elevationists, an open-minded congregation that welcomes people of all faiths and cultures to join us as we partake of the sacred flower with you, our brothers and sisters. That flock from as far away as Montana. I've never seen a church like this and I used to smoke pot. Welcome to the first church of Kansas. Well, I hitchhiked 978 miles to get here, and I'd do it all over again. To have people come up to you and say, hi, and I just traveled a thousand miles to share love with you. You know, it's like, wow. Yeah, I'd say, wow, right? Who would have thought that a so-called Christian leader would be promoting the legalization of marijuana, and now so-called churches are popping up, using it in their so-called worship services? And I looked, and there is actually a ton here in Vegas. In fact, there's a really big one. You guys know where it's at? Like, I'm really going to tell you. Give me a break. I can't believe <laughs> I set you up on that one. Are you sick? I'm not joking either, man. And they even have a waiting list. You actually have to wait to get it in line. they got so many people coming, you actually have to get on a waiting list for their services. Oh, I get it. Attendance is down. You know, churches are suffering nowadays. you got to think outside the box and do new things. But a marijuana church? Elevationist, did you get the term? High elevation. <laughs> now, here's my whole point in bringing this. Okay, it's just not just drug usage. Let's go back to the issue. They were worshiping demons. How did the demons hijack the mind? Folks, I've been there, done that. Wish I wouldn't have bought the t-shirt. But listen, when a person does drugs, you don't just open up physical doors. You open up spiritual doors. Okay? Drugs are one of the classic ways in the occult and the mystery religions to open a person's mind to be hijacked by a different spirit other than yours. Full-blown possession. It's a classic technique in the occult. Again, been there, wish it wouldn't have been a part of that. Okay? And that's what the enemy does. He gets us to think that these drugs are just entertainment and fun. Huh? No big deal. Right? Hey, it's just a physical thing. I'm just trying to relax. No, you're not. You're taking a spiritual trip. And you're running the danger, if you're not a Christian, you are running the danger of getting hijacked by a demon. Now, I didn't say that this guy did. Watch this. No one knows what... Hypnosis is, no one knows what goes on in the mind. It's an altered state of consciousness like yogis and uh, witch doctors have been practicing. Uh, it loosens the normal connection between your spirit and your brain. And of course, if the hypnotist can control you, make all kinds of suggestions, make you think uh, things are happening that are not happening, make you think you have powers that you don't, experiences that you haven't, even implant memories, uh, other beings, if there are other minds out there, they could also do the same thing. Sir John Eccles, Nobel Prize winner for his research on the brain, describes the brain as, quote, a machine that a ghost can operate, unquote. What he means by that is your spirit operates your brain in a normal state of consciousness. In an altered state, reached under yoga, a TM, hypnosis, uh, you have loosened the normal connection between your spirit and your brain and that allows another spirit, other entities, other minds to interpose themselves and begin to tick off the neurons in your brain, create a, a universe of illusion. I believe that it's demonic. I think all of the evidence indicates this. And I would agree. Notice some of the different ways that he mentioned, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks we're going to deal with that. Uh, but there's different ways. Drugs are a way to get people into an altered state of consciousness to open them up spiritually, unfortunately. So is hypnotism, repetition movement over and over and over again. Repetitive uh, speech, saying the same thing over and over and over. Hey, combine those two together. You got repetition movement and repetition of the same phrase over and over again. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks with some so-called church services. You might be connected with the Spirit, all right, but it ain't the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, yoga, breathing exercises, etc. But listen, let's put all this together. Drug usage is on the rise all over the world. It's being legalized in places you can't believe. It's even being put in uh, vending machines. People are using it, adults and kids all alike. It's causing people to do some pretty horrific things, like eat each other's faces off and look like a zombie. And, 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 the, and churches are now, so-called churches, they use it in their so-called worship services. I mean, you put all this together and we ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse. I mean, what? What kind of society are we headed for? Welcome to the seven-year tribulation. That's where it's all going to culminate. And we're seeing the signs of that taking place right now.
Okay, that's how bad it is. Now you think, well, come on, are you serious? Drugs really open up the doors to actual, real, live demonic possession? Yeah. There's another new designer drug out there, okay? It's called Flacca. Flacca or Flacca, however you want to pronounce it. Watch what it's doing to people. You tell me if these people are not demon-possessed after taking this drug. Let's take a look. A new synthetic killer drug known as Flacca is spreading rapidly across the United States and already causing an epidemic of overdose fatalities and acts of violence. We're talking about Flacca. Flacca. The drug is called Flacca. Some have dubbed it the insanity drug. And it's everywhere. It's been described as the scariest drug in the world. More powerful than heroin or cocaine. This is a synthetic drug that can alter your state of mind, raising excited delirium, body temperature, and literally losing their mind. They're all experiencing like superhuman kind of strengths. Or it takes six policemen to hold them down. That's a problem. Psychotic breakdowns, hallucinations, aggressive, violent behavior, cannibalism and self-mutilation, indiscriminate violence when Flocka takes over. We are living in the context of the end of the age. We are a nation under judgment. Welcome to stage one of the zombie apocalypse. It's been long theorized that controlled substances can bring people closer to the spirit world. Sometimes, however, what comes out of that experience isn't what you'd expect. And right now, our society is being plagued, dominated by an epidemic of controlled substances. In the 1970s, people were talking about peace and love, but nowadays people are coming back from bad trips and total psychosis. The number of overdoses are up, as are the cases of total zombification, i.e. demonic possession. Come on, you guys, don't get all freaky. You know better. Haven't you listened to the world or certainly a lot of the church, unfortunately, today? I mean, demons are not real. Drugs are no big deal. I'm just taking a physical trip. I'm just having fun. It's entertainment. When the whole time, the demons who are behind this are laughing their guts out. It's all part of their demonic deception. They get us, even in the church, to think that drugs exist to give us entertainment and fun. <laughs> it's their old-fashioned technique they've been using for centuries. To get people to be possessed by them. If you're not a Christian, or as a Christian, your mind is so clouded, so messed up, you no longer have a sincere, pure devotion to Christ. We're in a war, and we need to wake up. This is the evil character of the enemy. Now, real quick, the second way they're doing that is not only seducing us with demonic drugs, they're seducing us with a demonic teaching, and that demonic teaching is also pushing these demonic drugs on top of that. Okay, in case you would, you know, want to say, oh, I just only use regular drugs that's illegal. That means good for you. But let's take a look at what Paul said would happen uh, in the last days here. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit clearly says that in the what? Latter times, last days, some will abandon the faith. The context is the church. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by who? Demons. In the church? The church is actually going to follow things that are actually taught by demons? Yeah. And again, I don't have time to kick on one of them. You saw the face of Mr. Freud. So I'm going to hit it. And it's secular psychology. The founders of secular psychology, we've dealt with this before. But i got to deal with it again. Okay? They not only, as we're going to see in a second, were involved in demonic practices and admitted that they got their so-called inspiration for their teachings from demons. But guess what their so-called uh, expertise push? Drugs. And drugs that literally put people into an altered state of consciousness, acting like they're completely demonic and out of their mind. Okay? In fact, you want to see how much we're infatuated now with drugs? And I'm talking so-called prescription drugs. We are the most drugged culture on the planet. Watch these stats, okay? It says this, according to a study conducted by the Mayo Clinic, nearly 70% of all Americans are on at least one prescription drug. 70% of our population. 20% of Americans, one out of five, are on at least five. Five prescription drugs. Americans, we spend more than 280 billion. Actually, it just went up to over 300 billion, not million, billion dollars on prescription drugs every year. Right now, there's 70 million Americans that are on mind-altering drugs, mind-altering drugs, one form or another. And the United States today, prescription painkillers kill more Americans than heroin and cocaine combined. Okay, and America right now has the highest rate of illegal drug usage on the entire planet. Well, gee, I wonder why. You keep legalizing all over the place. You make vending machines for it. You think it's no big deal, even the church, and it's coming in like a flood. Okay? But, folks, they're admitting, listen, that just because it's a prescription drug doesn't mean it's good for you. Okay? In fact, some of these drugs are clearly, I believe, opening people up to demonic possession. In fact, once again, not me, secular experts are saying these, of 70 million Americans, those mind-altering drugs, 
They're altering people's behavior, all right. It's turning them into violent, mindless criminals. And it's these drugs that are the reason why we're seeing all these demonic school massacres and shootings all over the place. It's directly tied to mind-altering drugs. Just because it's a prescription doesn't mean it's good for you. Let's take a look at that evidence. Most violent outbreaks in recent years have involved guns, and new information indicates there's often another common thread, antidepressants. From Columbine to Aurora, the Naval Yard to Fort Hood, antidepressants have been linked to violence. For decades, psychiatrist Peter Bregan has studied this link. That these drugs are causing agitation, anxiety, insomnia, hostility, aggression, mania. Antidepressants work on the brain, thereby altering the way people think. In addition to driving the person with this amphetamine-like effect, the antidepressants kind of do a bit of a lobotomy. You lose your empathy. You lose your caring. In his book, Medication Madness, Dr. Bregan cites real-life examples of violence that could be blamed on antidepressants. Of an engineer who was given Paxil probably to help stop smoking, maybe for some tension, certainly not for any mental disorder. And within a couple of doses, he drowned his two children and himself in a tub. Boy, that sounds demonic, doesn't it? You'd kill your own kids. I mean, how, how did he get into that mental state? Wonder where that happened. Oh, he was given a legal drug, but just because the drug is legal doesn't mean it's good for you. This is all part of the deception, okay? And again, is it any surprise? How many, how many times do you guys see this on TV? Have you seen the commercials? Right? What's it say there? Hey, this is supposed to cure your depression, and I quote, but as they're showing people dancing, eating at a picnic, playing with their grandkids, acting all happy in the background, what they're really saying is this, oh, don't worry, but it might also give you liver disease, heart disease, lung disease, typhoid, foot fungus, even more depression, thoughts of suicide, anger, rage, and it's spawning these killings. <laughs> Order now. And that's how they get away from not being sued out of existence. That's a trick. They're even tricking us on the commercials keeping us distracted with happy-looking people. As I tell you, it could kill you and other people. Now, where did it come from? Real quick, as we get ready to close, it came from these guys who were involved with demonic teachings. What's the scripture say? Teachings from demons. Watch this real quick. Sigmund Freud was an evolutionist who believed that man had evolved from lower animals, that the idea of Almighty God was a myth made up by our forefathers to cope with life, and that religion must be destroyed. And I'm supposed to listen to him above the Bible? Excuse me? Uh, yet at the same time, most people don't realize he was also deeply involved in the occult. Uh, he consulted soothsayers who were alleged to have telepathic powers. It's all demonic. And he was an honorary fellow of the American Society for Psychical Research, this demonic stuff. And he even remarked if he could live his life over, he said it, I didn't. He would devote it to psychical research rather than psychoanalysis. He wished he could have gone down that demon route more. He already went down it, but he wished he could have done it all over again. And he was not only deeply involved in the occult, but it's well established. He was enthusiastic about the so-called health benefits of a drug called cocaine. He was a user of it himself for many years. In fact, he admitted that that's what helped inspire him, right? What he did, he was on cocaine high, and that wasn't the only drug. He was severely addicted to nicotine, smoking an average 20 cigars a day, which led to his death. You stir that all together, it makes sense to me. Uh, if the primary founders of modern secular psychology had a severe drug problem, even thought that dangerous drugs like cocaine were actually a benefit to other people, then is it any wonder that today's modern psychology is pushing drugs as the so-called miracle? Same thing. you got to understand the root. Let's continue on. Abraham Maslow, he said his life's work was motivated by his absolute hatred of his mother. And I'm supposed to listen to you for family advice, Mr. Psychologist? He also believed that in order for people to be fulfilled, self comes first, which is the number one law of Satanism. Do what you will shall be the whole of the law. Right? And that's what he promoted. He said self comes first, and one needs to esteem themselves above all and meet all your self needs first before you can supposedly love other people and have a fulfilling life. The Bible says the greatest life is one who loves God first, then your neighbor second, and you esteem them above yourself and you deny yourself and follow Christ. Self never comes first. Uh, as a Christian. Oh, how about this lady? She was a, a founder of a secular psychology, Karen Horney. She suffered severe bouts of depression throughout her life, even attempted suicide. She was unfaithful to her husband, which he knew about. 
She got into lesbianism, and towards the end of her life, she became interested in Zen Buddhism to see a connection between psychological analysis and meditation. She wanted to merge the two. I'm supposed to listen to you above the Bible? Christians are incompetent dealing with people, dealing with problems? Excuse me? This is demonic. And one more, Carl Jung, he's the big one. He made a wooden ruler. <clears throat> he made a man out of a wooden ruler. He called it mannequin. He kept it in a wooden case, and he talked to it in times of trouble. And I go to you, this is, wow, crazy. He had a mystical experience while sitting on a rock where he couldn't tell if he was the rock or the rock was him. <laughs> this is his own writing, right? Later, he had what he considered a major spiritual breakthrough in his life, and this is how he describes it. It happened the day that he had a supposed vision of God supposedly going to the bathroom on a church sanctuary from the sky. That's what he labeled as a major spiritual breakthrough in his life. Now, he was, just like uh, Freud, he was completely absorbed in the occult, studied their teachings, attended seances, listened to mediums, and practiced necromancy, right? And he had daily contact with disembodied spirits, which he called archetypes. The Bible calls those demons, familiar spirits. In fact, much of what he wrote was inspired by these demonic entities. What's the text say? Teachings that come from demons and he admitted it folks listen to this his words not mine he said this philemon okay uh philemon and other figures of my fantasies brought home to me the crucial insight that there are things in the psyche which i do not produce but of which produce themselves and have their own life philemon represented a force which was not myself in my fantasies i held conversations with him and he said things which i had not consciously thought for I had observed clearly that it was he who spoke, not I. Philemon was a mysterious figure to me. I went walking up and down the garden with him, and to me, he's what the Indians call a guru. That's what the Bible calls a demon. He admitted that his inspiration for these writings come from demons. And then he contacted another demon, so-called spirit guide, uh, Basilides, who inspired him to write his so-called famous work, The Seven Sermons of the Dead. Yeah, that's something we should follow. And then he even said that much of the work, when he was doing his writings was identical to possession. His words, not mine. Then it was as if my house began to be haunted. My eldest daughter saw a white figure passing through the room. My second daughter, independent of her sister, relayed that twice in the night, her blanket had been snatched away. This is full-blown demonic activity. And then at the same night, my nine-year-old son had an anxiety dream. Around five o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, the front doorbell began ringing frantically. It was a bright summer day. Two maids were in the kitchen from which the open square outside the front door could be seen. Everyone immediately looked to see who was there, but there was no one in sight. I was sitting right near the doorbell and not only heard it, but I saw it moving. We just simply stared at one another. Over the next three evenings, the book was written, and as soon as he begun to write, as soon as he submitted to these demons telling him to write this down, teachings from demons, what's he say? The whole ghostly assemblage evaporated, the room quieted, and the atmosphere cleared. The haunting was over. That's straight from young folks. Okay, and then he says, finally, in Basilis, there were just two of the spirit guys. He had another one that he contacted, another demon called Salome. In fact, he admitted these conversations with the dead formed a kind of prelude to what, quote, he said, I had to communicate to the world about the unconscious. All my creative works, all my creative activity has come from those initial fantasies. What did he just admit? Everything I've written down comes from teachings from demons. Can you believe this? And this is stuff going on even in the church today. And that's why they say he is the founder of basically the New Age movement, making people open to channeling, let demons speak to you, because that's what he did. And they're still pushing their demonic, dangerous drugs today. And it ain't helping people. Watch this.
or what we have been duped in the church you look at the facts I'd say the founders of secular psychology with all due respect had some serious psychological problems but they admitted their teachings came from demons and they're pushing demonic drugs that are inviting more harm than good and what's the scripture say as we close the Spirit clearly says in the latter times that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things actually taught by demons. People today, even in the church, I've, every church I've ever pastored, West Coast, East Coast, here in Vegas, people have argued with me over this. I can't believe it. I don't care how many times I bring it up. And I'm just dealing with secular information. People today, even the church, will listen to a psychologist over the word of God, not realizing, fighting the truth that their teachings came from demons and their pushing of demonic drugs might actually be inviting more demons if you're not saved. And if you are, your mind is so clouded. Your mind is so off base. What's their goal? What's their character? You no longer have a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. You're so messed up in your mind because that's what they're after. They know the rule. Blind the mind with drugs, even prescription ones. You can't see the truth. Destroy the mind with drugs. People, even Christians, will have no pure devotion to Christ. They'll only be devoted to them and their drugs and their false demonic teaching. That sounds like an evil, rotten character to me. How about you? And folks, this is why we in the church, we need to wake up and stop being ignorant of the devil's schemes. The battle is in the mind. Drugs are just one of the ways. There's a bunch of different ways. We're just dealing with one of them. And the Bible says we need to bring every thought captive and obedient to Christ and start emulating God's character, not the demon's character, and lead the way back. This is not a game. There's a war going on. It ain't just abroad. It's right here in our own country. It's a cosmic battle for the souls of men and women. The stakes are high. Millions of lives are at risk. And if we're going to win this war, then we, the American church, once again need to shine for Jesus Christ and take this serious. This is no time to be ignoring the character of demons. We need to wake up. The alarm is sounded. We are under attack. It's a satanic war on the Christian. Don't let the enemy get you. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Bill Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. 
And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that. Really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven. In that state, you're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And we know that people, that happens all the time, and they go to jail. But believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes, and by receiving that pardon, the doors come open, and they are set free, and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, 
they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today, because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.